Welcome to Love Your Family again and again and again and again, the podcast where we focus on parenting with love and clarity. I'm Dr. Marcy, a family culture expert who for over 20 years has been helping parents to create happy and strong families. Today, I'm excited for the conversation that's about to come with Kat Ruiz. Welcome, welcome, Kat. Thank you so much, Marcy. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. So you used to be a New Yorker like me hanging out in the city. And during the pandemic, like many, you went and found greener pastures, literally, so that your family could have a little more space and space because <laughs> we didn't have that. And you ended up staying in that life. So tell us a little bit about that transition and about your family, and we'll go from there. Yes. So we already had a place in Montauk. So that's where I am currently living. Um, during the pandemic, when COVID first hit and public schools were closed, that was the sign that it was time to leave for us. We just felt like we were able to. And so we didn't have to pack up a ton of stuff. We already had our home here. So we just loaded the car, grabbed the dog, and on our way to Montauk, we went. Like I said, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge transition for us because it was a familiar space, but we originally thought we were leaving for two to four weeks, like many people did, and we ended up staying here full time. Amazing. And who is we when you, you had the family and oh, the yes. dog? So I have um, my son, Sebastian, who just turned 13 years old, and my daughter, Nina, she just turned 10. So they are in seventh grade and fifth grade. And then my husband and our dog, Charlotte. Sounds like a lovely family. <laughs> yes. and what is your favorite thing to do all together? Our family. So I'll say a couple things because we all surf now. So that's something that we absolutely love to do together. It is family surf sessions are the best. So my daughter was sort of the last one to join the group surfing sessions, but she and she did it when she was ready. You cannot force things. Um, so yeah, so we love to do that together. Our favorite thing is like summer sunset surf sessions, watching the sun go down, being out in the water together, being active. So really anything that's active. We also all like to ski and snowboard, which is super fun for a winter activity. We're very, act we're an active family. So that's something that we really like to do. We love to be outside, outdoors and doing something that is healthy, expends energy and leaves us feeling calmer at night. I think that's fabulous. And having the living in proximity to a place where you can do one of your favorite things, like living in the middle of New York City, not easy to go surfing. And in my head, you're like, you know, a five minute walk to the beach now, so that that is a really easy family activity that you can do regularly, which is awesome. So I also know that having motion for your son is really important because there have been some challenging moments in that. Oh, yes. Yes. My son is so active. Actually, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know how he still has energy because he has literally been out and about all day long. So definitely living in New York City was a very challenging experience. My son was born in Manhattan and he was there until the pandemic, which we left when he was in fourth grade. 
But I'll tell you, as a mom with an active boy in New York City, you are constantly trying to find outlets for your child to get that energy out because it's really confined. I mean, even, you know, I used to take, I would take my son to the YMCA on the way to school to play basketball before school. That was not easy. I have another child too, my daughter Nina. So it's like trying to get, and my husband would go to work at six in the morning. So trying to get as a, basically a single mom in the mornings, trying to get two children ready and walk the dog in the morning, it's not so easy. And now that he has more outlets for his physicality, do you see a difference in his schooling, in his behavior, in his attending? Absolutely. I definitely do. So the school that he's at now, they they do have a lot of support for parents. So they actually open the school at 7 a.m. And it's called Open Gym. And so kids can go whenever. After 7 a.m., parents can drop the kids off. My son can even bike to school, which is even extra exercise for him and fresh air. So I think all those things are really important. But if my son tells me, mom, if I don't get morning gym, I'm not going to have a great day at school. So he knows, he knows that he needs physical activity before school. I love that. I just did a happy dance because (laughs) that type of awareness, that type, that connection that he can make for himself of my body needs to move. I have a lot of energy. That's not a bad thing. That's not a problem. And unfortunately, there are many places where that gets labeled a problem. No, he just got to move. And some days I wish I had a little more of that myself. But as long as he is learning to regulate, and it sounds like you did a beautiful job of helping him do that, then he can go and sit when he needs to sit and listen when he needs to listen and get through those pieces that his body wouldn't naturally do. So his mind can learn and expand and grow. And that he knows he's not a behavior problem kid. This isn't a bad kid the way we historically, currently like to label children. He's a kid who needs to move and he's learning what he needs in order to learn and be successful. And I love that you have put those pieces in place for him to feel good about those things and have those tools. That's amazing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It has not always been easy, but I I have learned through the process of my son's diagnosis, which I didn't know before that, I have learned that I am my son's biggest advocate. And you have to be an advocate for your child because nobody else is going to do that. So are you comfortable sharing what your child's diagnosis is? I am, Yes. Okay. He, so before his diagnosis, he had a tremendously difficult time in school. Um, I would say academically, my son is has always been excelling academically. He was reading a strong reader in kindergarten, way ahead of the curve, has always been doing really well academically. So when I um Originally, he started having some behavioral issues at school with his teachers, and he was not fitting into the box of what you're supposed to do at school. Um, and so originally, I was, you know, like, what can I do? I don't know. There were times where I, I've, I told you this before, I literally cried every single day. It's, it's a true, I mean, you know, when you're going through it as a parent, 
And I have a master's in education as well. I worked in New York City public schools. I did student teaching and and other workshops, et cetera. But when it's your kid, the emotional connection, it you just don't think clearly, which is why we hire experts like you to help because you just emotionally, it's just like it's hard to teach your kids things, which is why we send them to school with other people. You know, it's just having that separation emotionally. So um, at a very early age, I started sending my son to therapy because I felt like that would maybe help him have an outlet um, as early as kindergarten even. And I was always like ADHD, you know, asking about that. No, no, he's just got a lot of energy, which listen, I think a lot of boys have so much energy. And I mean, I, I even question myself, like the ADHD diagnosis. I think all of us have some level of ADHD, right? It's a, it's a spectrum. Okay. So like definitely going through this whole process and I've learned so much through it. Um, finally, when my son was in third grade, it was just like, oh my gosh, I asked the school to evaluate him and they did. But because my son was excelling academically, the public school system did not deem that my son needed any services, needed any help, needed any special, any special services, nothing. It was like, nope, he is like excelling beyond. His IQ is really high. He's getting, you know, straight A's essentially. And therefore you are not available for service. He's not available for, to receive any services. So isn't that interesting? Because he was doing so well academically and learning, yet having behavior challenges. And that wasn't just, you know, it's okay. He can hang out in the back of the room instead of sitting in his chair. It wasn't accepted, even though he was doing the thing he was in school for. His body just didn't confine or his attention skills didn't confine to the box that we, quote unquote, want him to fit in as a student. Right. And that's heartbreaking to me. And I'm sorry that that was your experience because if he was doing so well, why can't we put aside what we expect a student to look like? It wasn't that he was failing or he couldn't read, like he was doing great. That's so then right. isn't that our problem? Isn't that the adult shifting expectations is what that should lead to? But no. Yes. It's definitely, it, it's a tough thing. I finally, it took a teacher. I will also say the school that we were at had very um, young teachers, new teachers. And I feel like, the, and I'm not saying anything about, because I had, I went through that too when I did my master's in education. We all need experience. But when you're a new teacher and you're young and you don't have children or any experience with kids, it's harder to see that, you know, a kid is struggling. And I think sometimes, we personalize, and I did as a parent, personalize the behavior. Like you're doing this to me. <laughs> and it's never personal, right? It's one of it's the biggest never. one of the biggest things I will talk about behaviorally. It's not personal. It's not about you. Behavior is communication. Right. And your kiddo, whether it's your student or your own child, is trying to communicate a need. And if they had a better way a different way, a more socially acceptable way, a happier way, they would do it, but they can't. And so we need to figure out what are you trying to communicate and then teach them to do it differently. But it's never because they want to hurt you, because they want to 
disrupt the class because they want to create a problem because they want to, you know, whatever it is. And kids can say some really hurtful things when they're struggling and when they're suffering. They don't mean it. It's not about you. It's not about how they actually feel about you. It's just the only way they know how to express it in the moment. So the fact that you know that now, I love because it makes it so much easier to move forward. Yes. And I think most kids want to fit in. They don't want to stand out, actually. And, you know, as we talk about my journey and, and my family and my kids, you know, it's it, it's a continuous journey. It's not like you find a solution, that's what it is, and now, yay, you know, well, I don't want to move forward without, go, you know, finishing that part of the story. But it's a continuous journey and challenge. And, you know, even now my son is, is struggling in seventh grade at this moment, he's having a hard time and he's just like, mom, you know, I don't want to always be in trouble, you know? And, and they, and that's, that's the thing. (laughs) They don't want to be in trouble. You know, they, they don't want that negative attention, you know? And what I saw at my son in fourth grade, my son was so depressed. My son was just saying terrible things that, you know, as a mother, it's heartbreaking when you see a child suffering so much. I knew my son was suffering, but I didn't know how to help him. So a teacher who was a new teacher at the school, she had a lot of experience. When we had our first parent-teacher conference in November, she said to us, to me and my husband, you need to get your son privately evaluated. And I don't think they're supposed to tell you that really, you know, but it's like, you need, I'm telling you, like, I know he's a good kid. I know, you know, he's just struggling, but I really think he's, I really think he's got some things going on. Get him privately evaluated. And I'm going to pause just to add in what that means. Yes. Your son was in public school and the board of ed provides evaluations and the lens in which the Board of Ed's evaluations are is this child need help to learn in school. That's the scope of what they're learning for, of what the whole eval is about. Do they need help to learn and be a student in school? Full stop. When you go and get a private evaluation, that person is looking about how does this child learn? What will help support them? They look at the whole picture of a child. And it is a beautiful and wonderful and amazing privilege to be able to go get a private evaluation. And when your child is struggling, if that is an option for you, it is a wonderful set of information to have because it is a non-invested expert looking at who is this human, how does their brain work, and what tools do they need to support it? All right. Cat, continue. I just wanted to make sure whoever is listening knows that difference because they might not have been familiar with the the different possibilities. Absolutely. And I will add on to that. I heard you say, if you can do this, because actually it's quite expensive to get a private evaluation. Going through this whole process, it really made me realize how exclusive it really is. This is not an inclusive social system because most people do not take insurance. And, you know, at this time of getting a private evaluation, this was, it was 20, we did it end of 2019, beginning of 2020, it was over $5,000, which is not accessible to all people, which 
is a whole nother. That's a, that's another podcast. It is another episode <laughs> and a different conversation. Yes. A very important one. And one to acknowledge that when and if you can do that, the gift that that gives to your child and appreciating the privilege that you and your family get to walk it through in the world while also recognizing that we need to work on changing the system so that the picture of who is this child and how do we help them holistically yes. becomes part of the systems that are accessible. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I fully, fully agree with that. Yeah. So once we found, once we did get the diagnosis about Sebastian, then the conversation was whether or not to medicate for the ADHD. So sort of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know, is my son depressed because he has ADHD or was he depressed before? You know, it's sort of like what causes the side effects? Because there's so many things that go into having ADHD. I felt like because my son had ADHD and because he was singled out so much and oftentimes in trouble, he felt he had very low self-esteem, very low self-confidence, had a very challenging time in school. So we felt like we needed to treat the ADHD. So we, you know, when once you get the diagnosis, then it's a whole new, it's a whole nother can of worms that opens because then you need to meet with a psychiatrist to talk about whether or not you want to go forward with medication, which is another thing that a lot of people don't feel comfortable with. And honestly, probably before I went through this whole thing, I wasn't, I've never been like pro-medication. Like, let's just, you know, get a pill, use a pill. I, now I am such a proponent of medication because I, I have, well, I've seen the success for my own child, but there's such a stigma around medication, which we really need to break as a culture because people need medication. And I, you know, even my son doesn't like to take his medication. He, he feels like something's wrong with him because he has to take a pill every day. But I tell him, it's just like your dad who has high cholesterol. He needs to take a pill for his cholesterol, you know, trying to normalize it for a child. And I think it's, it's very challenging. And my son at this time, he was in fourth grade, which is not a baby to be like, here, take your vitamins, you know, not mashing it up in the applesauce for him. He's aware. Yeah, exactly. And has to be an active participant. Yes, exactly. And I think what, what you said is really powerful when you said, my son feels like there's something wrong with him because he has to take this medication. It shouldn't feel that way. It should feel like, you know, my sister's diabetic and she takes insulin every day, all day. You know, she's testing her, her blood sugar. It's an accepted part of what she needs to do because her body is not making insulin. So she has to get it from the outside. Well, his, his body is not making the right chemicals for him to be able to navigate pieces of his day. So he needs help getting that. And it is a tool in the toolbox, right? For me, yes. medication is one piece of the puzzle. I sometimes have a hard time when it is the only piece being used, if I'm yes. being fully transparent, because it's not a, here's the problem, here's solution. That is not a full answer in my book. That's right. 
but we have to use every tool in the toolkit and medication for the kids who need it, for the grownups who need it, for the people whose bodies need it. Mm-hmm. There's not a di- there's not another tool. You can't replace that with something else. And so if they need it, let's provide it along with the other tools as well. That's right. And we had we hired an executive coach for my mm. son, an executive functioning coach. Um, <clears throat> we hired, uh, we, he always has had a, a therapist. So we even, and I'll say something about therapy too, for other parents out there that are, that are also in the process. It's really important to have a good therapist. I mean, as with any anybody that you work with, but it's so important because I have gone through different, a lot of different therapists. You really need someone that connects with your child. And you don't know that right off the bat. You know, it takes time with kids because they're not as open. But I did therapy with my son for some time. So the two of us were together in the room. And then we switched to just him go- doing it by himself and I would be outside of the room. But it it is important to find the right people and the right team because it makes the difference. And can we normalize therapy while we're normalizing medication? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) please. Because having someone who can help you understand how you are experiencing the world, help you think about your reactions, your responses, your behavior, how you feel about it, normalizing the weird things that we do, but also teaching us things that we don't know, teaching us how to get out of the thought loops, how to focus and attend, how to be a good friend, how to be happy. Like there's so many things that we don't just naturally know about ourselves. The other thing where you said finding the right therapist, I always think about the fact that the right therapist for your friend may be the right therapist for you and your family may not be. And there is no, it's not, speaking as someone who works with families and works with kids, it's not about me. If I'm the right match for you, fabulous. Let's go. I'm ready. If I am not the right match, please tell me. And if you tell me a little bit about why I'm not the right match, I might be able to pass you along to one of my colleagues who fits what you need. Because it shouldn't be personal to me, just like your child's behavior shouldn't isn't personal. It's what they need at the time. And if my flavor and how I operate and and the strategies I share, if they resonate all day long, I'm here for you. But if they don't, find the person that does. Because when you're with the right person, it is so much easier to hear the tools, to take in the strategies, to apply it, to move forward. And so don't let that people pleasingness that we have or the like, but I heard they're the best in this area. I don't care if they're the best in the area. If you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel seen, if your kid won't talk to them, doesn't matter. You got to find the right for you. So true. And see some sort of progress, right? Like that's that we have to have a benchmark of, of what we're, you know, trying to change or trying to work on. And you know, I, I've done therapy. Listen, I've done it with my son and I'll tell you the things that came out in those sessions that as an adult, and I think we don't even realize how our words can impact a child because we're in parenting mode, right? And it's like rules and 
you know, we've got to follow the rules and <laughs> sort of, we are setting boundaries, which are important too. However, the execution of how the words come out can be really powerful in a positive or a negative way. Mm-hmm. It's one of my three golden rules. You change behavior in three rules. One of them is speaking with purpose because our words matter. They matter so much. And so when I go into homes, which I do all the time, and I sit down with families, especially kids who are meeting me with the first time, I will say, I'm, I'm here to help your, make your family happier, help make you guys a better family. How do you think we could do that? Like, what do you want to work on? And it's amazing what kids will tell you when you just ask. And it's not a secret. The parents are right there and they'll be like, I want mom to stop yelling so much. I want dad to not be so mean. Like they will just tell you what they hear. That's not necessarily the intention from any parent, but there's so many things you have to get done in a day that sometimes if you just stop and ask your kids, what can we do to make our family happier? You might be surprised at the answer. Yes. Questions. Very important. Not always being the, you know, talking or giving orders or telling your kids what to do, but asking is, is very important. Yeah. So what was one of the biggest aha moments you had when you were with your son in therapy? If you are willing to share, I know that's a real personal question. No, I'm, I'm a super open book. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just trying to think of, of something because there were so many, to be honest with you. I mean, I really, um, we had such an amazing therapist and she, she, I, I attribute my relationship. I'm so close with my son and I attribute that closeness to her because she bridged the gap. I mean, I, as I told you before, I took my son's behavior as a personal affront, like, oh my gosh, you know, I was, I was the PTA president at the school. Like, how is my son behaving like this? This reflects so poorly on me. Right. And you were talking about that as well with, you know, as, as a person, as your business, and it's not about you. It's really not about you. And so I think as an aha moment, that would be for me taking myself out of the equation and to stop taking everything my son said or did personally and just being like, this is my son. And you know what else? Whatever my son does, that's not me. We are separate people. I think him and I, I, I really put so much of my identity on my son that when I separated that and like, you know what, if he does things at school, you know, that's him and we'll deal with it at home, but that has nothing to do with me. And when you, as a parent, you finally like release that, it's like freedom. Mm-hmm. And with any relationship, actually, with it could be with a, a spouse, a significant other, a friend, you know, when you really just take yourself out of it. It's really, it's really so freeing. It really is. Well, and because if we think about the psychology of it, that's the truth. Like we are all separate. And the more we can do that, the easier it is to not get angry at someone for doing something you disagree with. It's easier to have compassion and patience and curiosity and understanding. 
So when your son came home from school, once you had that realization and something happened, what I wonder is what was the difference in your conversations with him? For me, it's about, it's tomorrow's a new day today. That's today. And, you know, I, I will, I will coach my son as, as best as I can for any situation. If I feel like I have something to sort of help him with or, or give him. And sometimes it's not about coaching. Sometimes it's just about listening and listening to what they're going through or what they have to say. And with my son, I mean, now my son knows I am the biggest advocate of him. My son is an incredible person. He is exceptional. He's amazing. He is just, I could talk forever about how awesome my son is. And I'm so happy that he's my son. And he's taught me so much about myself, about my own, honestly, I've never been diagnosed ADHD, but after going through the whole process, I'm like, I'm totally ADHD, (laughs) like, you know, and just really, and working, uh, you know, uh, going to therapy and we've done family therapy with like all four of us, like my whole family together and listening to my daughter add in things about, it's not just my son, you know, when you're going through something with one child, it affects everyone in the family. It affects every relationship in your family. If you're married, you know, it has an impact on that for sure, on the siblings, you know, it is about everyone. So it's, it is, we're in this together, like always, you know, I, it really is. It's like a whole unit and it's super important to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Because every piece impacts the other. So when you said that you have the most amazing son and he's so great. And I pair that next to before you were in therapy with him, every time he got in trouble, feeling like it was a personal attack against you, the PTA president, the difference, even in just your tone around that to me impacts his behavior. Because when you show up and someone is like, how dare you? You are part of this family that does this thing. And now like get it together versus today's done. Tomorrow's a new day. How do we make tomorrow better? Well, I'll tell you which conversation I want to be a part of, right? And behaviorally, I really advocate for not asking kids why they did something in the past. And it sounds like you've kind of dropped that question out to a large degree of he, he did because he didn't know what else to do in that moment. He did because his body moved faster than his brain. He did because someone else was being a poopy head. Like the why doesn't matter. It's, well, what do I do next time I'm in a situation like that? Or what do I do tomorrow to make it better? Or how do I feel good about myself so I can do better tomorrow? And when you come from the place that you just spoke about of how amazing your son is and how much you've learned together, I'm like, well, that's a person you want to talk to all day long. I want to hang out with people who think I'm great and I think they're great. And we're just going to talk about how to make the world a better place tomorrow. If you can be that parent for your child, imagine what your family looks like. Yeah, it's powerful. It it really is, you know, and when I, at night, I always 
give my kids hugs and, you know, I love you so much. And my son just says, mommy, I love you so much. Thank you so much for everything you've done for me. I mean, he, he recognizes it, which also is nice to hear as a parent, <laughs> like for a long time, you know, I didn't hear any of that, but now as you know, he's in middle school now and he, he understands that we've done a lot, <laughs> you know, and any, every, anything and everything, because I always will do anything and everything I can for my kids. But I think that when they're at this age where you can really sort of establish these positive relationships, which will carry them throughout as they grow, you know, they're really, my son is at a really pivotal moment of middle school and, and sort of making those ideas about what relationships look like and what they should be like or shouldn't be like. And, you know, it's sort of, it's this really important time. And, and I mean, I think all time is important, but it's, it's like seeing this like preteen now he teenager sort of changes and everything else, hormones going on, you know, it's, it's important. I love it. And you keep saying things that I'm like this, when you said we have done a lot, We've done a lot for so many families. And I think culturally we're kind of taught like there's a prop behavior problem with your child. They need help. Get your kid X, Y, and Z. And I'm a big believer that parents are part of the solution that as we grow, as we cannot take things personally, as we can ask how to make it better tomorrow, as we live that way, our kids can live that way too. And so I love that you were like, he, your son, he gets that we've done a lot because our kids can't do it on their own. We have to be part of the solution. We have to move forward and grow with them to help understand, to help get it. And as they get more sophisticated, we have to be able to match that and celebrate that and grow with them. So, so many wonderful pieces, so many wonderful pieces. Usually at the end, I asked parents, what is one takeaway? I feel like we didn't do a lot of like, here's a tool to answer this problem. But if there's one thing that you want to highlight from the conversation we just had, or one reminder to parents of something you've learned through your journey, what would that be? So I would say that one of the most important things through this journey is self-care. As a parent, as an adult, as a grown-up, we all have needs as well. And I and I know and I've been there and I understand it's so easy to forget about your own needs and your own self when you're going through a really hard time. But I think it's so important, and I've learned this over all of these years of working with my son, is that if I'm not in a good place. I cannot be the best version of myself for my son, for my daughter, for my husband, for my family. But when I take care of myself, and it's been a long road of, you know, finding those wellness, you know, techniques and and things that I need, but really staying true to yourself and making that time out for yourself, even though you have a thousand other things that you need to do. You have to take time for yourself, whether it's for a meditation, a workout class, uh, whatever things that hobby, something that, that brings you joy and happiness. You have to remember to do something for yourself because that's how you're going to be the best parent that you can possibly be. 
I love that. I think that's brilliant. And my guess is that as your kids grow up, that thing that you need to take care of yourself changes and shifts. That what you did when your kids were two is not going to fill you in the same way when they're five or when they're 10 or when they're 15. Because you're not the same parent, you're not the same person, and neither are they. So make sure that you keep growing with that tool. Absolutely. So Kat, thank you so much. This has been fabulous and wonderful. And I am excited to see and hear what happens with your family next and how you all grow together because undoubtedly there are going to be a lot more magical, wonderful moments. So thank you for sharing all that you did. You're welcome, Marcy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Absolutely. And thank you for listening. I know your time is precious and limited. I'm grateful that you shared it with us today. What's your one takeaway? Just one small step can make a big difference. Make sure you know when new episodes come out by subscribing here and joining my mailing list at drmarcy.com backslash podcast. Do you want to be a guest on a future episode of Love Your Family again and again and again and again? Then go to drmarcy.com backslash podcast guest and let me know. Finally, do you need individualized help for your family, then go to drmarcy.com backslash contact and connect with my team to learn how we can help you. Remember, blue skies are ahead and we're going to get there together.